In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus concedes that he is a man who reaps where he has not sown. And that seems like the end of an analogy there that doesn't quite fit into his character. But we see in the promise from Isaiah 65 that he promises that our work will bear fruit that he is pleased with. That he will bless the labor of our own hands. The greatest work we can do is participating in the work which God gives to us. The greatest work we can do is think about Jesus and trust in him. And so, rather than focus on the talents which we are to invest and how we could make sense of that and learn lessons from that, today we consider that greatest gift which God has given to our mortal bodies, and that is our minds, our souls, that we might invest our thoughts and desires to the gospel. Let us pray. Wisdom's highest, noblest treasure, Jesus lies concealed in thee. Grant that this may still the measure of my will and actions be. Humility there, and simplicity reigning, in paths of true wisdom my steps ever training. If I learn from Jesus this knowledge divine, the fullness of heavenly wisdom is mine. Amen. This morning I'd like to talk to you about wisdom, what it is, how we get it, and for what purpose we seek to attain it. We consider the parable of the ten virgins. There are five foolish virgins and ten, and five wise virgins. Foolishness is a terrible thing. To be foolish is to be self-destructive and willfully ignorant of what is good for you. It is to be stubbornly unconcerned with true righteousness. The word in Greek is moros, which is where we get the word moron. A spiritual moron is one who does not take the word of God to heart. Wisdom, on the other hand, is a beautiful thing. The Greek word for wisdom is sophia. To have sophia is to have full knowledge of what is eternally true. It is to love what is righteous and to completely delight in what is good. To have wisdom is to know Christ and his saving grace and to want to know it better. Wisdom is a gift from God because faith is a gift from God. Jesus calls himself by this name in Solomon's book of Proverbs. He calls the simple to know him. To be wise is to know Christ. To be simple is not to be a fool, but to be a fool is to insist on remaining simple, as though there were some virtue to it. To be a fool is to refuse to lift your heart and mind to heaven, where the goodness and truth that we have Come to know, even now in part, there reigns in completeness and perfect clarity. That is the eternal wedding banquet of the Lamb and his bride. Even the simple turn their minds to this. Fools do not. When reading about the five wise virgins in Jesus' parable this morning, we might expect to find Matthew using this Greek word for wisdom, Sophia. But we don't. As it is, when aspiring towards wisdom, we encounter distinctions that require us to think a bit harder than maybe we set out to do. So we find here a distinction between two words 
that might seem otherwise interchangeable. And if I, in the process, accidentally teach you a couple Greek words, that's not necessarily the point, but the distinction is helpful. Noticing this distinction, we see that instead of the word for wise, Sophia, we find in our Lord's parable this morning another word, phronomos. This word is often translated as wise or prudent in order to reflect a distinction from Sophia. What is clearer and more accurate, however, might simply be thoughtful, mindful. Ten virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were thoughtful and five were foolish. Such distinctions are not so unfamiliar to us. We know perfectly well that there's a distinction between smart and wise, or book smart and street smart, maybe. When we talk about wisdom, as in Sophia, we're not talking about something that we do or something that we get good at, nor about something we can gain by our own cleverness or devotion. Sophia is not an activity, but a quality. When using the word to refer to worldly things, wisdom is more than knowing facts or being smart. It is the accumulation of knowledge and understanding of how to apply that knowledge that is gained by experience. When using this word to refer to heavenly things, wisdom refers to the truth of God's word and the knowledge of salvation. To have Sophia is to have true faith in Christ. It is to have Christ, who is the wisdom of God. It is, as we just prayed, wisdom's highest, noblest treasure. Jesus lies concealed in thee. We who hear and believe the gospel are wise in this Sophia sense of the word. We know Christ. We bear his name. St. Paul uses this word Sophia when he writes, From childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Scripture makes us wise by teaching us. Scripture teaches us about Jesus. The entire Bible serves this purpose of presenting Christ to those who have first been taught to mourn their sin and fear God. As the proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here we see both the law and the gospel. The law teaches us to fear God. The gospel teaches us to know Christ. The law begins wisdom. The gospel completes wisdom. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom because it prepares us for mercy. Knowing Christ is the fullness of wisdom because he is the Holy One of God who reconciles us to the Father. To have true wisdom is to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But have we not played the fool? Have we not disobeyed? And not just in the weakness of our activity, but in the wickedness of our own minds. We have been foolish. I suppose this is something we should think about. It is only when we consider the depths of our sin that we are prepared to recognize our need for mercy. God prepares us. He teaches us to fear him by teaching us his holy will and how we have sinned against it. He teaches us to see the harm that our pride and self-seeking have caused ourselves and others. He teaches us to fear eternal punishment by disciplining us with temporal consequences for our sins. This the Bible calls chastening, 
When life is rough and your heart is heavy with frustration and bitterness, God teaches you to examine how it might just be your own fault. Fear God. God permits hardship and loss and embarrassment and shame in your life so that you might recognize not just how much your sin reduces earthly enjoyment, but also how much your sin merits God's eternal rejection. God teaches this. And only if you learn this has true wisdom begun in you. Because God will only make wise those who first fear him. God will only receive such sinners who know and acknowledge their sin. But to such sinners as these, God reveals his love. And he teaches us to love him in return by giving us Christ. Christ fulfills God's holy will for us by living a life of selfless service. And he teaches us what a life of selfless service is. He serves his neighbor by seeking his father's glory. Or is there another way? He fulfills God's holy will by bearing other people's sins. He is the innocent one who alone can remove our guilt by taking it on himself. He alone can satisfy God's anger at sin by suffering sin's punishment in our place. And God teaches us to trust him as our savior by crediting his obedience to us. This happens through the proclamation of the gospel. Our sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' suffering and dying and rising from the dead. For Jesus' sake, therefore, we are taught to fear, love, and trust in God. And all of this makes us wise. Wise in the Sophia sense of the word. Wisdom is God's gift because faith is God's gift. We do well, therefore, to take heed and take to heart what God is giving us. We do well to make frequent use of this precious sacrament of our Lord's body and blood because we know that this is where Christ delivers to us what he earned on the cross, delivers to us what rose again, thus proving that God is pleased with us for his sake. We do well to live in our baptismal grace by drowning every day our old Adam in repentance and by rising again through the forgiveness of our sins as new men and women created in Christ Jesus for eternal life. We do well to live as Christians who confess our sins to one another and forgive one another and speak the word of God with one another, receive from one another both rebuke and encouragement. And this is what it means to be that phronomos word. That's what the word for wise is that Jesus uses and calls the five virgins who kept their lamps filled with oil. The ones who were prepared to enter into the wedding feast. He does not describe them as those who have attained, but as those who press on. That's what it means to be thoughtful and mindful. Phronomos means to have a certain attitude. It means to be mindful and watchful, to think about what you have, to think about it. If Sophia is a quality, then this Phronomos is an activity. As I said, it means to be thoughtful. It means to act actively make use of the means of grace while you live this life. We press toward glory. This means that we look forward to when the fullness of heavenly wisdom will be ours. But for now, we must depend on the foolishness of the message preached to us, and we, and we think about it. We look forward to being completely freed from sin. Think about that. For now, we must depend on the forgiveness of sins. And so we think about it. We're mindful of it. We look forward to the deathless and endless life. 
something worth thinking about. But for now, we must depend on the death of Christ and the hope of the resurrection. And keep it in mind. We are weak and slow of heart. We feel foolish because we were born foolish and never overcome what makes us foolish. We don't feel wise. But we have wisdom. And we think about wisdom. We listen to what wisdom says, and we go where wisdom invites us. We have wisdom, though we don't quite hold it as firmly as we would like. So we look forward with thoughtful anticipation to the wedding feast, when we will celebrate the having and holding of Christ and his bride forever. We must live by faith. Faith that is constantly fed. Faith that does not grow bored with what Jesus teaches us to think about. But many do get bored, and they're fools. They're not, I think this is the last time I use this word, they're not phronomos. That is to say, they're not thoughtful, they're not mindful. When God rebukes the man in Luke 12, who tore down his barns to build greater, you know that story? and whose soul was required of him that very night, God says to him, You fool! The word used there is simply the opposite of the word for wise in our lesson today. He does not call him a moron. He calls him unthoughtful, imprudent, unmindful, thoughtless, I suppose. And so the rebuke is all the more stinging. For perhaps one can't help being a moron, but to simply ignore what is right in front of you. Consider the foolish. They imagine, because they are members of the church, that they have all the wisdom they need. There are those who attend divine service, but don't pay attention to what is being preached, or they don't think they need to agree with what God's word says. They have their opinions. There are those who see no need to examine themselves and prepare for the Lord's Supper because they don't really give thought to what is being offered. Or why? There are those who, though they are baptized, see no need to daily repent of their sins and to rise by faith in the forgiveness of sins. There are those who hold membership in a faithful Lutheran congregation and because of that membership don't think they need to come to church regularly to hear the gospel preached while making every assurance that the that the faith they have that gives no thought to Christ is at least very strong. They're connected to the church, but they're not connected to the church's bridegroom. They've got their lamps, they've got their wicks. They pretend to be waiting with the rest of us, but they have no oil. They have no faith. Why? Because they don't care. That's why. They are not mindful of what they truly need. They are spiritual fools because they imagine they have already attained to the height of wisdom. But as St. Paul writes, professing to be wise, they became fools. They profess to have Sophia, but they refuse to be phronomos. They become fools because they refuse to be watchful. To be watchful is to have oil. We have an end-of-time, last-day parable, but it is one that teaches us how to view every day as the last. It teaches us to listen to the gospel now. 
It is to know where this oil is found, to be thoughtful. It is to know where Christ serves us. The oil is faith. The oil is the Holy Spirit. The oil is the gladness of the gospel. It is all these things. The oil is what you buy at the market where the bread is free and the wine doesn't cost any money. It is to be filled with joy at what is yours already. As we sing, we have all things Christ possessing, the life eternal, second birth, present pardon, peace, and blessing while we tarry here on earth. And by faith's anticipation, foretaste of the joy above, freely given us with salvation by the Father in his love. All things are ours. The height of wisdom, the fullness of wisdom, it's ours when we have Christ. But because we still live in the flesh, we can enjoy it only dimly. We have a foretaste of the joys of above only through the gospel we hear. We enjoy the word of God only by being mindful of it. That is, only by holding dear the forgiveness of our sins and learning from Jesus. Our wisdom as Christians is found in our desire for true wisdom in Christ. And it is always granted. And so it is only those who desire mercy while living who are prepared for the bridegroom when he returns. St. Paul tells us to be watchful when he uses this same word as a verb. He says, let this mind be in you. He's saying, think like Jesus. Be thoughtful as he is. That is, think the way Jesus thinks. Have his attitude. And think of what his attitude is. He who is the eternal wisdom of God took the form of a servant and came in the likeness of man. This is the height of wisdom. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. For us, the eternal wisdom of God permitted himself to look like a fool. And he did so to save us. He did so to make us wise. In the wisdom of God, this could not be discovered by wisdom. And yet he who was made a fool in the eyes of man was shown to be the wisdom of God in the eyes of his father when he raised him from the dead. When he sat him at his right hand, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. We are not yet so exalted. We wait. And while we wait, we assume the mind that our Lord had while he waited who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame. While we wait, we endure the scorn and mockery of the world, just as Jesus did. And while we are here, it's no big deal. But while we wait outside, we struggle with the temptation there to fix our hearts and minds on things that pass away and harm us and leave us bitter and ashamed and perhaps woefully distracted from hearing the gospel, we become what we might call drowsy and half-drunk. But we are not of the light. And the watchman doesn't ignore or simply look scornfully at those who rest in their foolish, worldly stupor. He calls them. He wakes them all up. Heavenly wisdom is ours. We recognize wisdom's voice when it rouses us from our sleep. We have Christ and we know his word. He rouses us from sleep, not in anger, but in excitement at what has been promised us. And we are excited. We have the light. And having his word, Jesus says we are the light. 
but we make ourselves of no reputation. We take the form of servants, we assume the mind of Christ, and like Christ, we're regarded as fools, but we boast in the light that we can't produce and that the world ignores, and it's a light that we're happy to fuel by taking joy in it. It is God who will exalt us as truly wise. And so we wait for that. In the meantime, we take refuge in the foolishness of the cross. For what is foolishness to those who are perishing is the power of God to save us. It is what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And we who know its power by faith will see its power. We will see our heart's desire because God has taught our hearts what, what we should desire. He tells our hearts what we should desire, where Christ fills our lamps with all the oil we need when he forgives us our sins and tells us to expect much more. And having this oil that fuels our hope today, this mercy that no earthen vessel can contain but must spill forth, having this oil, we will be prepared to have shining lamps with which to follow our Lord into eternal joy when the bridegroom comes again. And so also we have oil, mercy, excitement, encouragement to share with one another, to rouse one another, and to remind one another that our Lord Jesus comes quickly. He will be here very soon. Let us pray. Wisdom's fountain ever flowing from thy pierced and wounded side, grant that I be ever going in this wisdom to abide. My thoughts and desires have yet nothing brought me, except when I'm mindful of what thy death bought me. Lord, let me look foolish and counted the least, till called forth by wisdom, I joy in thy feast. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.